Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Yeah, so all this stuff is happening while we have a dead man as a president. Yeah, you know it's it's just. Um, are it's you not, throwing out any um, fun. any support towards anyone? Or are you going to hold off and? Because uh, I know didn't Elon Musk uh, come out recently for DeSantis? Yeah, yeah, I think Ron DeSantis would work as a good president. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, what he's done for Florida has been admirable. Look at I feel like I'm doing breaking news right now. Yeah. That wasn't even on purpose. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I feel like what he did for Florida, a lot of people gave him a lot of grief, but ultimately he was correct. He was correct when it comes to like deaths. He was correct when it comes to protecting our vulnerable populations. He was correct in terms of distribution of monoclonal antibodies. And he was furious when the government tried to pull those. They were trying to pull very effective treatments. You know, he is not perfect. He's a human being. But um, what he's done is stand up for freedoms. And mm. people think that, that so there's, there's some weird gaslighting shit that went on where people equated freedom and saying the word freedom to like right wing bigotry. I'm, I'm not going to shut up about this. I'm not because I can't yell at the Republicans. They're not going to change. They are who they are. We're stuck with them. We're not going to change them. You can't shame them. You can't convince them. You can't trick them. You can't fucking outplan them. But I can yell at the Democratic Party. And I can tell them where they can at least make one fucking small change to stop pissing me the fuck off every hour right now. Stop sending me. Stop sending me fundraising requests right now. Okay? The Republican Party had a plan for the last 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade. We had a, a leak five weeks ago telling us that this exact thing was going to happen. And your response after five weeks of careful study and planning and thought has been to send us nonstop fundraising emails. All right. So let me just leave you a quick list. Mark Warner. Mark Warner. He's the Democratic senator from Virginia. He's worth $214.1 million. Don Beyer, he's a Democratic Virginia House member. He's worth $124.9 million. Dean Phillips, he's he's a Minnesota uh, House member. He is worth $123.8 million. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the fucking House of the Democratic Party from California, is worth $114.7 million. Dianne Feinstein, who doesn't know where the fuck she is right now, the Senator from California, part of the Democratic Party, is worth $87.9 million. Million. You guys want money? Fucking call your guy. You call him every week to do insider trading. Stop fucking sending me emails. Stop sending me fucking texts. Stop fucking reading poems and singing goddamn karaoke. You have power. You have it. You're in those seats. We're the ones who are powerless. Stop fucking pretending you're protesting. If you don't want to fucking do it or it's too hard, fucking retire. You're rich as shit. 
You don't need to do anything. If I had $114.7 million, Nancy Pelosi, you know what I'd do? First thing, I'd get my fucking husband a driver so he didn't get a goddamn DUI. Second thing, you know what I'd do? I'd be on a fucking boat. I'd be on a fucking boat. $114.7 million. And you want to send me a fucking... Sustainable. What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. What a scary, fast trip from America first to America last. Mm -hmm. That liberal war world order phrase used to be something you might hear somebody on infomercials yeah. say. I'm um, not, I'm sorry, infowars say. But it actually was said. It was actually said out loud. That one soundbite should be in every commercial for every Republican campaign. You should play that liberal world order uh, uh, blurb to truckers, to parents buying food, to delivery workers, because it's this kind of it's one of the biggest like reveals in history, in political history. They're saying, yeah, you know what? The, the greater good mean the greater global good means your suffering doesn't matter. True, it's very Stalinist, people will die, but you gotta break some eggs to make an omelet. Of course, you never see the omelet, all you see are the broken eggs. It's a very honest comment. And, I, and we're learning that the administration just isn't that into us being America's. So what is the Democratic Party offering to people? You're either woke or you're broke, right? Woke destroys the internal organs of a country. Everybody's fighting each other. Then you have the New World Order, which is the external breakdown. We're fighting a war thousands of miles away, right? And that trumps our gas prices. We're willing to accept perhaps world famine even in our own local misery for a war that won't end because both sides, according to both sides, are winning and we're, fun we're fueling this war at billions and billions of dollars. And there is a price for everything, including war, which is why Trump had it right, which is you drill, 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 you become energy independent. So international turmoil has no effect on you. But you can't have it both ways. You can't want cheap oil and then go to war against the people that supply the, the oil. Although it's only eight or nine percent. It's not a problem for us. It's a European problem. Yes, but it, yeah. well, I mean, well, Biden clearly says it's a problem for us. I, and he's happy. That's his excuse. Yes. Well, now to a first half of the year to forget for the stock market, posting its worst showing in a half a century. Chief economics correspondent Rebecca Jarvis joins us now with what this means for your bottom line. It is the worst start of the year since 1970. The stock market down more than 20% in the first six months, wiping out more than $8 trillion in value since January. And it's largely because of inflation, those rising prices affecting consumers in nearly every part of the economy, from food to housing to oil. Now, to put this in real terms, this sell-off, if you invested $10,000 at the start of this year, it would be worth about $7,900 today. Getting right to our GMA cover story how to fire up the savings as you fire up the grill for the big 4th of July weekend. Becky Worley is back with brand new ways to save on your BBQ blowout. Becky, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Is nothing safe from rising inflation on America's big day? The cost of the simple July 4th cookout has us getting creative on new ways to save. As Americans prep to throw Lady Liberty a birthday party, Sticker shock on barbecue costs. New data shows ground beef prices soaring 36 percent. 
Pork and beans up 33%. And even homemade potato salad up 19%. And you want to start with the meat first because that's always going to be the most expensive item on your grocery list. Bone-in meats are cheaper and better on the grill than boneless. At grocery chains in three different parts of the country, we found drumsticks as much as 70% cheaper than boneless breasts. Also, think sausages over steak. The cost differences in stores around the country have steak at least 50% more expensive. And And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the, what the hell day is this? It's the 3rd July year of our Lord, freaking 2022. And we got a new world order, bitches. What up about that? New world, the liberal world order, which in turn means fuck you and your gas. You just go fuck yourself. That's fucking insane, bro. That, 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 that's just, that's fucking insane. And before we go into our first segment, which is going to be polls, I'm going to play our Commander-in-Chief mode. Nothing about these videos you're about to see that have basically are the reason why a guy like freaking Rogan would vote for anybody but Biden. Shows that he's in charge of shit. That guy saying New World Order, he's running shit. You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony that's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony. If we do these things, it's estimated we could bring down tomorrow, if they, Congress agreed and the states agreed, we could bring down the price of oil about a dollar a gallon at the pump in that range. And so we could have immediate relief in, in, in terms of the reduction of the of the uh, uh, of the elimination of temp- temporary elimination of the gas tax, and so I think there's a lot of things we can do and we will do. But the bottom line is, ultimately, the reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia, 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 Russia. The reason why the food crisis exists is because of Russia, Russia not allowing grain to get out of Ukraine. And so that's the, that's the way in which I think we should move, and I think it would have a positive impact on the price of the pump as well. Mr. President, two questions, please. <laughs> of course. America is back was your motto at the first NATO summit last year, and you've come to this summit here and the one in Germany after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned constitutional protections for abortion, after the shootings in Buffalo and Texas, at a time of record inflation and as new polling this week shows that 85% of the U.S. public thinks the country is going in the wrong direction. How do you explain this to those people who feel the country is going in the wrong direction, including some of the leaders you've been meeting with this week who think that 
when you put all of this together, it amounts to an America that is going backward. They do not think that. You haven't found one person, one world leader to say America is going backwards. America is better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. We have the strongest economy in the world. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. We've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights and privacy rights. And it is a mistake, in my view, for the Supreme Court to do what it did. But I have not seen anyone come up to me do anything other than, nor have you heard them say anything other than, thank you for America's leadership. You've changed the dynamic of NATO and the G7. So I, uh, I can understand why the American people are frustrated because of what the Supreme Court did. I can understand why the American people are frustrated because of inflation. But inflation is higher in almost every other country. Prices of the pump are higher in almost every other country. We're better positioned to deal with this than anyone, but we have a way to go. And the Supreme Court, we have to change that decision by codifying Roe v. Wade. There were some comments by some of your counterparts after the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. On the world stage for the last day of this high-stakes summit. Good afternoon, everyone. President Biden today turning his attention back home, blasting the Supreme Court and what he called its outrageous behavior. The historic ruling overturning Roe v. Wade now prompting a major shift for the president. He wants Congress to pass abortion rights protections at the federal level and says he now supports carving out an exception to Senate rules that would allow Democrats to do this with just a simple majority rather than 60 votes. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law and the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. But the president well aware that key members of his own party have said they're not on board with eliminating the filibuster, even when it comes to abortion rights. And just as the president was about to board Air Force One for the flight home, another blow to his domestic agenda. With that Supreme Court ruling limiting the EPA's ability to regulate greenhouse gases, the decision effectively making it impossible for his administration to reach its goal of cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030 and eliminating carbon by 2050. The White House calling the decision devastating, saying it aims to take our country backwards. World stage moment in Spain. President Biden accused the highest court of upending American freedoms. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. Consequences he sees as so dire, the president urged Congress to restore abortion rights with new law. But in a 50-50 Senate, Democrats don't have enough votes, making a surprise announcement today. And if the filibuster gets in the way, the president said he would back a limited change to Senate rules to allow a simple majority vote to make abortion legal again nationally. Require an exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. That's a flip, breaking his decades-long filibuster support. Ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do. But tonight, top Democrats say they cannot make the change because a few Democrats won't agree. While top Republican Mitch... He's a bumbling idiot. And it, it's just going everywhere. 
Five days after Skoda Silver turns road, Biden hits his lowest approval ever. Ever. Biden's net approval rating, the gap between approve and disapprove, it's at a new record low. Nobody wants this guy. I mean, I, I just, once again, how did he get 81 million votes? How? Does anybody know? 81 million. We're going to get to this in a second. We'll finish the right. I'm going to let that sit there because we got some good shit on the fourth. New poll shows 71% don't want him to run. 71%. The guy is a bumbling idiot. And his party is a bumbling idiot. Because they fucking hate America. It's not a message that resonates with the most of the country, folks. 18% maybe. You far lefties, you hate this fucking place. You hate your fellow Americans. You hate everything. I'm going to play just one soundbite because we'll play next show the why 4th of July sucks. But this was last year from the New York Times. Before we get into the 4th of July tomfoolery, this was last year. Check that. I'm going to play a soundbite of what real Americans feel right now. Because for two years, all we do is lose rights. We lose the ability to even think. Because they own every platform that you can speak on. Then I'll play what the New York Times thinks about America. Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. <laughs> I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run. And you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade 
holidays from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! America, the greatest country on earth. A narrative packed and sold to tiny patriots, reinforced by every cartoon, movie, cheeseburger, and mattress sale. Guaranteed. A mythology so entrenched, our most beloved personalities urge us never to question it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. This right now is the greatest country on earth. Greatest country God ever gave me. You're the greatest country in the world, I'll tell you that. No, America's the greatest country in the world. But what if we did question it? Now, hold on, patriots. I know what you're thinking. America's done some pretty great stuff. And you're right. We built a kick-ass democracy, walked on the moon, and we built universities so prestigious that even Taliban warlords send their kids. And they're still very patient. By the time the Cold War was waning and baby boomers were booming out their own babies, it truly felt like we were the greatest country on Earth. Now, listen, of course there's no single way to measure greatness. But one good test is how we rank in the OECD, which is basically a golf club of 36 countries, predominantly wealthy, Western, and democratic. And unlike most golf clubs, this one's got some diversity too. America is the richest country in this club, but we're also the poorest, with a whopping 18% poverty rate, closer to Mexico than Western Europe. 12.8 million American children live in poverty. That's almost one in five of our kids. And speaking of kids, turns out at the level of high school science, we're 19th of 36. Reading, 20th. And math, a dismal 30th. Now, I'm not that good at math, not America's fault, but that does not add up well. And neither does this. We spend more on healthcare than any other country in the golf club, especially out of our own private little pockets. But we live sicker and shorter lives. We're fatter. And globally, we're more likely to see newborns die. We're even behind Bosnia. But we have freedom in America, and everyone's jealous or something. The enemies of freedom. Pursuing the enemies of freedom. The enemies of freedom. And other enemies of freedom. Turns out, a lot of countries have freedoms. And while we boast about them, using our rights is a different story. Only 56% of Americans turn out to vote, while it's closer to 80% in countries like Denmark and Australia. And it's getting worse. This year, America slid on global rankings of corruption and freedom and dropped from a functional to a flawed democracy. So what, besides our economy and military, are we actually number one in? Turns out, a lot of things. Civilian gun ownership, mass shootings, TV watching, prescription drug abuse, prison population, Oh, and almost number one on environmental damage, edged out by China. It's gotten to a point where I think there are specific times and places where you can confuse America for a developing country, as elections are tampered with, water can't be drunk from taps, citizens don't trust uniformed officers, infrastructure is crumbling, 
and where a dual system is emerging when public services are for sale for the highest bidder. You see this in countries like Pakistan or Nigeria, where the rich don't worry about the sad state of electricity or police because, well, they have generators and private security. Or in America, where the Kardashians rent their own firefighting force. We were fortunate enough and blessed enough, and I know that not everyone has this luxury available to them, but we were able to get private firefighters. When health, education, and safety are increasingly privatized or driven by privilege, the truth is, how great America is really depends on how rich you are. Now, I'm not saying where Pakistan or Nigeria or any number of what we like to call developing countries but we're not perched as high above them as we'd like to think. We got so caught up in the rhetoric about America being the greatest country on earth that we've long ignored the cracks in our system. And while a bit of patriotism is great, jingoism is dangerous, especially when it's built on old or fake news. So as we gear up for another election season where politicians tell us America... They hate the country. They've always hated the country. I mean... Anybody out there truly believe they don't hate the country? I mean, it, it is just who they are. It, it is so fucking insane that people even vote for it. So this shit, of course, got everything $10.18. That's what it cost more this year. This was deleted. Fuck the 4th. Women's March. Fuck the 4th. Fuck the 4th. Fuck America. These are Democrats. Pima County. Tucson. Tom Kleeman. Fuck the 4th. And they think it's okay. They think America loves what we're doing right now. We don't have body autonomy. Because we lost Roe, we are fucked. USAA, USA bashing press uses the fourth. And I guess I don't have that, so we'll go back to the main screen here. Um, to trash America. The hidden toll of July 4th fireworks for the environment. That was not geographic. Don't overemphasize America's military might. Jerika Duncan. I mean, he had a lot of lies in there. With only special tributes, obviously, the military. And there's also been a recruiting tool. Ah, the military sucks. Margaret Brennan. But that showcased the military hardware it was showing pictures of. Some would say it's overemphasized America's military might. Can I play this? Let me see if I can get this soundbite. Oh, yeah. I, I got to play this because this is just so fucking good. Hold one. It was kind of unusual. He, he used phrases like America is one people chasing one dream. We're all made by the same almighty God. These were unifying phrases. There was no reference to political party. It sounded very, very different from the typical Trump rallies that are often broadcast uh, on on cable news um, but that showcase of the military hardware that we're showing pictures of here some would say it, it overemphasized america's military might and it underplayed the american values 
that have been used to justify the use of force. Yeah. And so that is something that the president will be criticized on. Yeah, Margaret, they say the speech didn't have politics in it, but when you have the president speak... That was the best force of July ever. Why, why can't we have that? Why? Happy Independence Day. America sucks. Today's show. Uh, that was John Lewis. It's a myth. Great America, USA. Just okay. And that was a video. Just It goes on and on. They, they just, they fucking hate the country. That, that's why. It, it's... Here's how twisted they are. Rasmussen, who to blame by party for oil prices? Dems, Biden, 24%. Putin, 25%. Big oil, 41%. Independence, 54 Biden. GOP, 76 Biden. Overall, 51 Biden. Not big oil. No. No, that's, that's not what it is. No. But they, they can't admit that they suck. And then this week, they once again lose on the EPA. They don't have the rights to do what they do. And sweet God. At the center of the case was former coach Joe Kennedy, seen here about to yank the First Amendment away from Charlie Brown. <laughs> Kennedy... Kennedy sued his school district after they fired him for engaging in public prayers on the field while flanked by student-athletes after games. According to the school, players' parents complained their children on the team felt compelled to participate. Oh, I'm sure the students didn't feel any pressure. Coaches famously don't expect players to follow their leads. Johnson, that's your fifth fumble. Take a lap if you want. You are the captain of your own journey. In the majority uh, decision here, Justice Gorsuch writes that the coach, quote, offered his prayers quietly while his students were otherwise occupied. Okay, quietly, that sounds okay. Let's check out those quiet prayers. Yes, Lord. We love you, Jesus! Jesus! Okay, I enjoy praying. But Jesus. <laughs> now, the praying got even less private during one homecoming game uh, when the coach was joined by a state legislator and the media. Spectators jumped over the fence to reach the field, and people tripped over cables and fell, and school band members were knocked over. The next night, they held a prayer vigil for the prayer victims. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> but if the court believes... If the court believes this type of Christian ritual is okay for public schools, then I'm sure they'll be fine with every religion going varsity. I can't wait for the satanic cheerleaders. D-E- I think just regular folks who are watching at home, how this impacts us, this ruling will impact many people's lives because this is happening in the context of climate change here now. Uh, we have seen the flooding. We have seen the heat waves. We have seen the 22-year mega drought out west. We have seen the longer, more intense wildfire season. 
And this is just the beginning as it relates to climate change. And we also know it is not with it is not debatable that high concentrations of greenhouse gases contribute to the warming of the planet. Uh, and what this ruling does is it takes away the most effective tool for the EPA to curb those greenhouse gases. And that is emissions from these power plants. Power plants are the second largest source of these greenhouse gases. And so I said this yesterday. Yesterday, I'm going to say it again. It, it is curbing the EPA's ability to regulate power plants and the emissions that come from uh, these power plants is like saying you can cut the grass, but we're taking away your lawnmower. So get out your wow. scissors, EPA, because that is the situation. The EPA has been um, has had this posture that they will find ways to continue to curb greenhouse gases. But I have to say this is uh, it makes it just very difficult for them to do this job of curbing these gases in such a dramatic way that scientists have been sounding the alarm that we need to do and not like over the next 25 years, like right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this makes it more difficult. And Poppy, the one other yeah. thing that I want to mention is just the idea of giving this authority to Congress. I mean, we have seen what that what that looks like and we have seen what that means. Just look at the Biden administration's uh, climate legislation. It has been stalled within Congress. So this idea that, of giving Congress the authority yeah. uh, to me is the equivalent of not doing anything, anything because you certainly have seen that they there's not enough political will there to get that sort of drastic and dramatic regulation over the line. All right, let's talk the Supreme Court decision once again. U.S. carbon emissions are on uh, pace to spike again uh, this year, and the Supreme Court just made it much harder for the U.S. government to do anything about it. And one of the most important environmental decisions in years, the justices preemptively curbed any re regulations the Biden administration might consider to limit carbon emissions at power plants. Uh, joining me now to talk more about this, Michael Mann, director of the Earth System Science Center. He's also the author of The New Climate War. I'm gonna bet, Michael, you're not necessarily happy about the Supreme Court decision. Tell us why. Yeah, well, I'd like to say it, it's good to uh, talk with you, Yasmin, but um, this is a, an awful day. It's a day that uh, many of us suspected were coming, mm. uh, was coming, but uh, still um, feared the day that it would arrive. Uh, look, you know, what the Supreme Court has done here, what uh, this reactionary, um, activist uh, Supreme Court has done is to remove yet another fundamental right that we have as citizens. Uh, they've removed the fundamental right to privacy, they've removed a fundamental right to safety from gun violence, and they've removed a fundamental right to a livable planet. And, you know, it's ironic in that some of the regulations uh, that they are basically now uh, preventing uh, the executive branch from implementing uh, against carbon pollution were actually put in place by Republican presidents. Uh, George W. Bush, his EPA administrator, Christine Todd Whitman, recognized that carbon pollution was a pollutant to be regulated under the Clean Air Act and began to initiate efforts to do that. And then what we saw thereafter was an effort by fossil fuel companies to take over the party. And ever since then, what we've seen is uh, Republicans and this Republican-dominated court now uh, basically preventing the executive branch from being able to protect its citizens. Again, this is a big loss for the Biden administration, but also for the country. 
Um, and I will say, uh, say to you just everything that I've read so far, and obviously we'll have to study it more, suggests a major, major loss for climate regulation. I don't think it's right to think about it as a loss for Biden or anything. I think it's a loss of the federal government's ability to regulate climate change in a six to three fully throated decision by the chief justice. And just to give you a sense of how dangerous and, and scary the decision is, let me read to you the last words of Justice Kagan's dissent today in the case. She says, quote, the subject matter of the regulation here makes the court's intervention all the more troubling. Whatever else this court may know about, it does not have a clue about how to address climate change. And let's say the obvious, the stakes here are high. Yet the court prevents congressionally authorized agency action to curb carbon dioxide emissions. The court appoints itself instead of Congress or the expert agency, the decision maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening. Respectfully, I dissent. I think that tells us just how significant this decision is, um, not just in removing a power from the federal government, but removing a power over climate regulation, what the Supreme Court earlier, 15 years ago, described as one of the most major environment, pressing environmental issues of our time. Um, this is, uh, you know, in conjunction with the earlier decisions on abortion and guns, as extreme a result from the U.S. Supreme Court as in our lifetimes. Um, Jose, uh, and, uh, it, and, I, and I repeat, I don't think it's right to think about it's lost for the Biden administration. It is a... The EPA thing was just like a blow I think they couldn't take anymore. Elin Kagan, or Elena Kagan's dissenting opinion in SCOTUS EPA suggests Congress is full of idiots. Um, I'm not going to read it. Because that's the problem. Every one of these rulings, what it's done is said Congress... Do your job. Do your job. Legislate. If you want the EPA, do this. If you want um, wall-to-wall, full-fledged, you can abort your baby in college, legislate it. If you want no prayer anywhere in school, legislate it. But the problem is they can't because they don't have the votes. Their energy secretary, because this whole thing goes down to energy. It's a Green New Deal. They want to punish you. You know, my sister sent me this great article about a fucking wind turbine collapsing. Inside that wind turbine is 700 gallons of oil that has to be changed every six fucking months. The blades do not biodegrade, and we just have junkyards full of them. And it doesn't produce enough energy to actually affect anything. We spend more energy maintaining and keeping it going, coal oil then you get out of it and then you see Biden energy secretary violated federal law by using office to promote democrat special counsel rules she also still has money in batteries climate activists slash dozens of suvs they're the uh, tire extinguishers they even show pictures doing it you think they're in jail nope elizabeth warren aoc and chris hayes among lefties melting down over scotus ruling um, let me try to get to their fucking shit. Oh, Warren, our planet is on fire, and this extremist Supreme Court has destroyed the federal government's ability to fight back. AOC, catastrophic, a filibuster carve-out is not enough. We need to reform and do away with the whole thing. 
Because once again, when they lose, you get rid of everything. Electoral college, you get rid of fucking Supreme Court, you get whatever. Chris Hayes, run out of words to describe this court. But among other things, it's a new threat to the planet. To the planet. Rolling Stones, the Supreme Court rules 6-3 that the planet should burn. Yeah, exactly what they did. Yeah, that's that's what they did. Sure. A real journalist, Mary Alice Parks. Who is going to save the planet? That's CBS for you. CBS. SCOTUS is killing America. Democrats lose it on Twitter over radical right EPA. Let's just play some AOC and Milano's in here too. So I'm sorry, but a bunch of men who are very ignorant about medicine, biology, uh, rape culture that and misogyny that they were raised in, including legal liability and how it factors in with the medical uh, with the medical field, they are. It, people who are ignorant to all of that are the ones that are writing these laws. Some of them were even written in the 1800s. So don't tell me that people in the 1800s knew what an ectopic pregnancy was. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. And I say happy because joy, too, can be an act of resistance. Um, I want to talk about personal acts of reclamation because sometimes people will say, there's nothing I can do, I can't do, I feel so powerless. And there is no act too small um, that you can engage in. And even today, I have a personal errand. Um, I need to redo my nails. And I've decided that I'm going to use my new manicure as almost like a personal act of reclamation for me and my story. So fucking pissed. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm an American woman. And not that it is any of my government's business, but I have had an abortion. Uh, so this bullshit Supreme Court draft opinion ripping bodily autonomy from millions of women uh, in America is, it's not the end. It's not even close. And I know there are a lot of people who are scared right now, but we need you to turn that fear into hope. And if you're a member of the Senate who thinks that the filibuster is more important than women or a member of Congress and you think keeping nine justices on the Supreme Court is more important than women. Or if you are any elected official at all, and you are trying to block the adoption of the Equal Rights Amendment, we're coming for your jobs. I don't give a shit about party. If you are not standing up for women in this country, you should not be able to represent women. Okay, have a great day. I'm getting to a point in a second. Schumer, the decade-long fight protects citizens from the corporate pollutes, uh, corporate pollute, 
polluters is being wiped out by the mega extremist justice. Every Republican who helps seat these justices is complicit. It's all the more imperative that we soon pass meaningful legislation to fight the climate crisis. Climate crisis. I'm going to play a very long soundbite. It's a media jerk-off of the week. Before it, you're going to hear a small clip that says peaceful protest. Even though we know Jane's Revenge is still attacking shit. Even though there's people fucking trashing fucking cars. And then just the media losing their shit. Totally apoplectic over Roe. Because they couldn't kill babies. And we wonder why we have fucking tweets like this. A fun thing about the Christo fascists is they want the world to literally fucking burn so Jesus can come back, but Biden thinks they can be reasoned with. Christo fascists. Because. And that's a blue check, too, by the way. We wonder why we have uh, this kind of shit. Did SCOTUS turn the frogs? They did, didn't they? Oh my God, SCOTUS turned to frogs. Nice conspiracy thread, Junior. The nightmare scenario SCOTUS is plotting for the 2024 election takeover. Uh, Tom Hartman, until the announcement comes out of Georgia, although Biden won the popular vote in Georgia, the legislature decided it can over, uh, overrule the popular vote and just award the state 16 elector votes to DeSantis instead of Biden. Th- that's already out there. We're, we're already starting conspiracies for 2024. I the media jerk-off of the week. A Christian pregnancy center in Colorado was vandalized and it was torched following the reversal of Roe. A similar scene playing out in Portland, Oregon. That's where rioters destroyed property and sprayed graffiti. Pregnancy center that you're seeing right now, it's a pregnancy care center out in Longmont, Colorado, vandalized and even set on fire. Police are investigating that as an arson, which happened less than 24 hours after the U.S. Supreme Court reversed federal protections on abortion. Graffiti there reading, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Their lack of education, too, on what the resource center does. I think that just because they don't offer abortions doesn't mean that they're not helping in um, helping women find the right choice for them. And that was a former employee there at that pregnancy center. Now in Portland, hundreds protested the Roe versus Wade decision, but just hours later, police say things took a violent turn in Portland. According to their PD, several banks and coffee shops had broken windows. A van belonging to the school district was damaged and windows were broken and also tagged with spray paint. These are local businesses that are there. Um, A pregnancy resource center, they say, was also vandalized overnight. Stand by, Jeffrey. Uh, We do have breaking news just into CNN. Give me just a moment of personal here. Sorry, I'm getting, you know, watching the women there. It's emotional. You know, what? This is as devastating a ruling as can be imagined. It's a very dark day in America. You cannot overstate this. I'm not sure we all 
fully appreciated how devastating it would feel to see the words on the paper condemning women to second-class citizenship. I think there's a lot of folks who feel as if Gorsuch and Barrett, two of the, of the five uh, on, this, on this opinion, we're, we're, we're sort of there unfairly or sort of out of bounds. This is a court uh, not of judges, but of politicians in judges' robes. That is the danger that Justice Stephen Breyer is alerting the country to. There are no more black robes. I think the robes are red and blue. I don't think the country benefits from a future that involves a highly politicized Supreme Court. There really is a, a lot of people who believe this is a rigged court. He's lost control of this court, but it is significant that a justice as conservative as John Roberts is, looks at what his conservative colleagues did and says that that's judicial activism. Young women who grow up in a state like mine are going to say, if you can't recognize my right of privacy, I'm not going to live in your state. We are looking at a sort of a constitutional, legal, I, I don't want to use the word civil war. This is going to be a legal civil war. It's going to be legal chaos. We're sort of entering the legal wild west here. We're going to have two Americas. We're going to have one America where abortion is still available, at least to some point within a pregnancy, and one America where it's not. Can we have any debate, especially something as emotional as this, in a civil way in this country right now? Uh, I don't think so. On Friday morning, women in this country, like they have for nearly 50 years, woke up with a constitutional right to abortion, a right enshrined by the Supreme Court's 1973 decision in Roe v. Wade and reaffirmed again and again. But just after 10 a.m. on Friday, a legal earthquake, the court stripping women of that fundamental right. Abortion is now a matter for the states and Congress, a decision for voters and their elected leaders, rather than between a woman and her doctor. Martha, this is the most consequential Supreme Court decision in decades. It changes the status of American women as citizens of the United States and as citizens of their states. That's the big picture, but let's not mince words. Women will die. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gilead. Uh, I mean the Cross Connection, and I'm Tiffany Cross. Today, for the first time in 49 years, American women are waking up with less rights than we had yesterday, after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. Now, people across the country have taken to the streets protesting this move. The majority of Americans did not want the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. A majority of Americans. But four men who will never bear children and one handmaiden decided for an entire country that their Christian doctrine is the only way. Let me reiterate this. A woman's right to choose is a human right. A person's ability and choice to bring life in this world is their choice. But in America, where guns are the leading cause of death for children, an AR-15 has more rights than a woman does. And now the Supreme Court wants to mandate birth in a country where 17 million children are hungry and more than 420,000 children. And this decision is really seen as devastating to so many women across this country by from four people who are, of course, advocates of abortion rights. I also sat down with Shannon Brewer, who is the director of the Women's Health Organization in Mississippi. That's the clinic that is at the center of this decision. She told me that she believes women's lives are going to be put at risk now because they're going to be forced into unsafe abortions or they're going to be forced to have children um, that they do not want to have. Now that anti-abortion activists got what they wanted, right, which is to overturn Roe versus Wade, what happens now politically, do you think? It's hard to imagine the Republican Party surviving this. Um,
between anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ, book banning, anti-democracy, I mean, add all of the regressive bullshit, uh, garbage, sorry, to this, I don't take that back, um, add it all together, and I don't know who's left in the future, in future generations to be drawn to this party. If you look back at 2016, I think people voted for Trump for a wide array of reasons. Some of them garbage, but some of them legitimately economic or even foreign policy. I think the people voting for more Trump, more MAGA now are really motivated by very few reasons. And so there are fewer of them. And when you imagine that, I think for the first time, maybe we should ask Jeff Tubin, a generation will be able to say my parents had a right that I don't have today. For the first time, a right was taken back. Um, I can't imagine how Republicans message to new voters and don't just keep shrinking and condensing this. Listen, I, I'm pro-life. I sympathize with the pro-life position, but I'm a modern gal. I understand the necessity for this. For, for many women, I don't judge that. And I've always accepted Roe as the law of the land because it's older than me. It always has been to make this monumental a shift. Michael, you know who doesn't have to fight aggressively or get reelected? Supreme Court justices. So when right. we keep hearing right. about how unpopular this is or how the court is really losing the faith of the American people, do these justices care? They're on the bench for life and they got that's exactly ex what they wanted. That's exactly it. That, that's the central question here. You know, look at the tone of that decision today. George Washington would have said, if you've got power, like a five-person majority, you always exercise it with restraint. You always try to bind the country together. That seems to be what John Roberts was trying to do, which was to introduce a change in abortion rights and narrow them. But what this decision, it sounds just like Donald Trump. This decision was intended to throw scalding acid into the face of people who feel strongly about abortion rights. It was intended to shock. Compare that to, for instance, uh, the decision on Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, saying that you couldn't do separate but equal anymore. You couldn't have a segregated society. Earl Warren said privately as he was talking to justices, you know, this is going to be a big social change to say that the government is now saying there has to be integration. You can't do that with a five to four majority. You have to do it with language that's gentle, introduce justice with mercy. And so as a result, that was an overwhelming majority for Brown versus Board of Edu Education, helped that social change to be accepted. But what this was did this morning, I think, pushed our beloved bleeding country in the direction of almost civil war over the issue of abortion. One day after it made it up, another decision on gun safety. This is not a Supreme Court trying to heal. This is a Supreme Court of a radical majority that's essentially saying, look at how much power we have. So think about this in the coverage in the last couple of days. Kate, I see all these split screen images, you know, one person who's cheering, another person who's jeering. I see tears on one side, and then I see celebrations on the other. That 50-50 split, isn't that actually misleading? Isn't that actually distorting? Absolutely, Brian. That is a complete distortion of the facts. 
that we know about how people feel about abortion access and specifically the legality of abortion. We know that eight in 10 Americans want abortion to be legal. So when you put that split, split screen up of, you know, one person who loves it, one person who hates it, well, that's completely ignoring Which, the Which, to be fair, we are doing right now. Well, where's your news director? No, I'm kidding you. But it's all me. It's all me. I choose the videos. But I, I, I did this on purpose because I do think this actually is part of the issue. New CBS polling from your alma mater today. Uh, abortion in your state should be what? Nine percent of Americans say illegal in all cases. Uh, the rest say either illegal in most cases, uh, legal in most cases, or legal in all cases. But only nine percent of Americans say it should be completely illegal in their state. And yet, we have states that are doing exactly that. I mean, before the Roe ruling, we saw Oklahoma pass a ban on abortion at fertilization. Uh, Secretary, give us more information about... They're intentionally riling people up. I know what they think they're doing is going to get people to go out and vote. But these next two, and I hate to be playing a lot of sound bites, these two right here, Feshi, we're losing democracy. We've heard this before. No, uh, that's Veshlosh. And Veshi, North Korea is better on women's rights than us. So, Michael, let me ask you, historically, what has happened after decisions like this? How do Americans typically react? Uh, they react in two ways. Number one, it can divide the country almost to the point of civil war. That's what happened in 1857. The Supreme Court did the Dred Scott decision saying basically black Americans are not people, and if you don't like slavery, deal with it. It's going to be here forever. That led directly to a civil war four years later. Mid-1930s, the Supreme Court said to Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal, you can't get so involved in you know, trying to regulate the economy and other areas of private life, and struck down a lot of the reforms that Roosevelt had done. A lot of people were angry. This country was very unsettled. There were demagogues in the late 1930s. I think there's a very good chance we're going to see all this again, especially because something they didn't decide this week, the Supreme Court, but they did ominously announce, and that is they're going to take on a case during the next year that may give the uh, right to decide presidential elections much more strongly to state legislatures. There's a possibility that, I hate to say this, Alicia, that there's a possibility that we may have seen our last Overturning Roe v. Wade and leaving abortion laws up to the states makes America an outlier among developed countries. Take a look at this map. These are countries where a person can get an abortion, quote, on request. Now, there are varying limits on how far along the pregnancy is. But for the most part, if you want an abortion in any of these places in green, you can get it. Canada, Greenland, France, Spain, Italy, uh, the majority of Europe for that matter, Australia and New Zealand, all countries that you'd expect to see on the map. And then there are countries you might be more surprised to find in this group, including Cuba, Argentina, Turkey, Russia, China, and I hope you're sitting down for this one, North Korea. Even in some countries that embrace authoritarianism and have horrible records on human rights and the treatment of women, abortion is still available on request. Now here's a look at a map where abortion is outright prohibited. It's actually a smaller map than you'd think. Egypt, Iraq, Madagascar, the Philippines, Sierra Leone, Senegal, and a few others. The rest of the world varies with laws that allow abortion under a range of circumstances, including when saving a life or preserving a person's health. This is where America falls. 
somewhere in between Sweden and Sierra Leone, somewhere between a full ban and fully legal. That's because since the reversal of Roe v. Wade, it's tough to characterize the legal status of abortion in America because it now varies wildly state to state. The right to an abortion, a woman's right to control her own body, no longer has blanket constitutional protection in America, which means that women have rights in China and North Korea that they do not have in the United States of America. This map is actually being generous, giving America too much credit. The U.S. does not deserve to be striped in green and red, depicting a nation that just can't make up its mind. The entire country should be painted scarlet red because it does not matter if abortion is allowed in some states. If it's prohibited in even just one, then America is not truly a free country because if the rights of one single American are... Forced abortion is totally different than everything else, folks. Forced abortion is different than everything else. I, I, I sometimes wonder... what their intent is because what I feel their intent is is to start actual violence is to have people attack other people because in in their scheme once again you keep saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and over people believe it people go crazy Ex-Minister of Truth Nina Jenkowitz helped promote now-deleted misinformation about Clarence Thomas completely for his whole goddamn position. They literally took forever for Glenn Kessler to remove it and say it was wrong. I'm not even going to break down that soundbite, everybody freaking out. You've seen him. A communist link to TikTok bans restores Susan B. Anthony pro-life. Finally, they brought him back. Because they removed them because they have too much power. Can't have power. Salon. Our summer of misogynistic rage. Toxic men unleash a wave of violent threats aimed at outspoken women. I thought there's no women. White House is pushing abortionfinder.com. It's so important where to go. More than 700 health centers, abortionfinder.org features most comprehensive directory of trusted and verified abortion services. Pro-life facilities under attack. A top DOJ official, the black girl we covered, what the fuck's her name? Kristen Clark. Oh, those are fake health places. Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, uh, Planned Parenthood is closing places everywhere. But I thought it was only 3%. I thought it wasn't a big part of their business. New York Times writer, rollicking and heroic. My 13-year-old daughter, Orly, asked to attend one rally organized by National Council of Jewish Women. People who don't have uteruses shouldn't decide, she said to me. Simple as that. And they break down another one of those. Hey, it's, this is a woman. This is a woman it's what a woman is rolling stones uh pushing um herbal abortions penny roll tea and here's things you can do da 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 the supreme court ruling represents the tyranny of the minority tyranny of 
the minority. Hmm. Yeah. Nashville Pregnancy Center, Molly Talk Cocktail, James Raven Graffiti. Nothing. No, no coverage. We're not talking about it because, uh, you know, why would we? Target churches, pro-life resources. Why is the Justice Department MIA? Of course, they're going to arrest anybody who thinks about it. Elizabeth Warren, with Roe gone, it's more important than ever to crack down on so-called crisis pregnancy centers to mislead and deceive patients seeking abortions care. My bill with Senator Menendez would stop these harmful practices. Patricia Heaton, our medical pregnancy clinic service, client families for five years, providing superior service for anyone who asks. We raised 250 k for a mobile medical clinic for underdeserved areas, treating everyone because of people like Elizabeth Warren. We now have to hire armed security. It is actually what Planned Parenthood is supposed to be. Prenatal health, screamings, those those are things that are important. Hey, you like the barbed wire? You see the barbed wire? Yeah, I found some barbed wire. It's pretty cool. Um, so, with this environment, with them constantly riling up their people, getting them false information that isn't fact-checked and isn't even pushed back. I mean, right now, most liberals on Twitter don't even know that the Secret Service said everything Cassidy said was bullshit down to the letter that she supposedly wrote. They keep this January 6th thing and the concept that we are going to lose democracy. So before I play the asshole clip, I want to play some mockery of J6. And then the president said, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's what he said. I think he said that. He could have said that. He might have said that. And everybody was a little confused. And then he said, Keep your enemies close, but your friends closer. And then for a moment, like things kind of calmed down. And then the president looked at Mark Meadows and he said, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And after that, everybody got into the limo and the president wanted to go to the Capitol and the driver said no. And so the president put the driver in a chokehold. And then he looked at everybody and said, you want to play rough? Say hello to my little friend. Everybody got like really, really nervous. And he leaned into the secret services, one of the secret services guys ears. And he said, I will bury those cockroaches. Then after that, I guess he said, never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. I think, I think that's what he said. I mean, that's what I was told he said. He said that. I, then after that, he just suddenly got up and attempted to get out of the limo. And he looked at another one of the Secret Service guys and he said, Leave the gun. Take the cannolis. And I was told that he faced everyone in the limo. And he said, God forgives. Italians don't. And everybody was was shocked. They, they they said they were shocked. 
um, because they didn't know he was Italian. And, and I didn't know he was Italian. It is shocking to find out that he is Italian. I, I had no idea. As he was walking away, everyone could kind of hear him say in a very quiet voice, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. It was, it was really scary. So once that all started melting down and the networks were caught correcting the story, tweets like this one from Never Trumper David French began to fly. Didn't age well. French saying Hutchinson's bravery is putting the GOP's cowardice to shame. There were a lot of tweets from Never Trumpers about her bravery that aged just about as well, as you can imagine. So they decided to come out and come at it from a different angle. Mr. French tweeted this out after Hutchinson's story completely fell apart by last night. As a legal matter, if you're focusing on the contested allegation of lunging and choking, you're focusing on the wrong thing. There was different evidence that matters far more and it's directly relevant to a potential prosecution. Okay, that all might have been bogus, but that's not even important. So don't worry about that. I mean, it's not like they called an emergency session of the committee or anything, except they did. He also attacked a link to a story he wrote titled The Case for Prosecuting Donald Trump Just Got Much Stronger, despite just basically admitting that Hutchinson's testimony was not based in reality. David French isn't based in reality. In it, he calls Hutchinson's testimony the most extraordinary congressional testimony he's ever seen. And he argues that this exchange is actually what could cause criminal prosecution to be brought against Donald Trump. Listen. I was part of a conversation. I was in the, I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away. Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the president wanted to take the mags away and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him? That's a fair assessment. The issue wasn't with the amount of space available in the official rally area uh, only, but instead that people did not want to have to go through the mags. Hmm. Uh, by the way, when they say mags are talking about magnometers, devices that'll detect if someone might be carrying a weapon. Hutchinson says that Trump didn't want them around inferring that he wanted the crowd to be armed. And she even states that she heard President Trump say he didn't care if they had weapons. French argues that Trump summoned the mob to Washington, knew that it would get violent, also knew that the crowd had weapons and did not care and wanted them to storm the Capitol building. Oh, by the way, Capitol Police officers helpfully opened many of those doors for those rioters, as they're called. We know that based on all the video that's out there. French says that because the president apparently knew all of this and told them to fight like hell, that meant he was leading an insurrection. You just have to ignore the fact that Trump also called for 10,000 National Guard troops to be placed at the Capitol prior to January 6th, but it was ignored by Nancy Pelosi and company. Oh, and that story about Trump looking to commandeer his vehicle and drive to the Capitol, what French and the J6 committee is inferring is that Trump wanted to personally lead the rioters, possibly into the Capitol himself, and take over the government. 
Now, let me ask you this. How plausible do you think that really is? Especially given now that it looks like Cassidy Hutchinson lied under oath. And at the very least, got her story so wrong, it's indefensible. At least according to everyone she claims to have heard these stories from. They say she's got it wrong and they're willing to testify. That is Liz Cheney. Hugging the key witness. No media covered that. People picked it up off TV. This is after she went up and lied. Here is the media talking about her, though. It's very interesting. Let's discuss with CNN political commentator and conservative columnist Essie Cup. Essie, thanks so much for joining us. What does it say right now about the state of the Republican Party that Congresswoman Cheney, someone who is very conservative, a lifelong Republican, may actually wind up losing her seat in Congress to a candidate who espouses those lies? Well, in some ways, it doesn't say much more than we already knew, right, which is that, you know, Republicans who take on Trump don't tend to be long for this world in the Republican Party. And they are marginalized and attacked by other Republicans. Um, that looks to be what will happen in her home state of Wyoming, which, you know, voted for Trump um, percentage wise more than any other state in the union, uh, which says a lot. But listen, some time ago, the Republican Party decide to jettison conservatism for Trumpism. And um, this effort to sort of decapitate um, never Trumpers or Republicans who took on Trump and then parade their severed heads around became much more interesting and satisfying even than taking on Democrats, the, the opposition party. And so there's there's been some giddiness in trying to primary and get rid of people like Liz Cheney. And by, by going into the Jan 6 committee, I think she really put a huge target on her back. Now, I, I think it's good that she did that, and she probably did that knowing that it would sacrifice her political career in Congress, but um, I think she did it because it was the right thing to do. If uh, Congresswoman Cheney, Essie, loses her Republican primary in August, then what? Could her clout on the committee or her moral high ground, for that matter, in politics in general be impacted while she's in that lame duck period? Or frankly, could she even be empowered to speak her own mind? Could she be even more empowered, I should say? Yeah, right. Um, I've been talking to some folks on the Hill, both Democrats and Republicans. And it's funny, you know, there's this cynicism, this idea that like she must she must want something out of this. There must be some reason she's doing this, because why would anyone just do something for the good of it? It's hard for me to find a good ulterior motive for her. Like I said, she's she's not dumb. I think she knows that she'll probably lose in Wyoming. And looking ahead to the future, maybe 2024, I'm not sure what natural constituencies there are for Liz Cheney. Um, I, I always have to remind people, as much as you would celebrate her, rightly, for taking on Donald Trump on the Jan 6 committee, she's very conservative, far more conservative than many people probably know. And so I think... Um, the folks that like her now for her courage are probably not her voters. And then on the right, she's become sort of traitorous. So I don't think she's got a long game or a short game. I think her game isn't a game at all. She really wants to tell the truth. And if anything, 
provide a roadmap for other Republicans to speak out and use this kind of messaging, right? She said that the truth matters. She's called Donald Trump a domestic threat. I think she wants to give permission uh, to other Republicans to talk that way, to talk that honestly about Donald Trump, whatever happens to her after there. Yeah, she's got a lot of guts, a lot of courage. There's no doubt about that. It's already... Liz Cheney is doing well in terms of raising tons of money, but we all know that that doesn't necessarily translate to votes. She's essentially, you know, kind of pleaded with Democrats to cross over and help her win this primary in August because she knows that their writing is kind of on the wall for her. We saw this But that makes sense, already. Nia. Why wouldn't they do it? I mean, if they really cared, they, they should yeah, do I mean, it. And they might. I, they, they might. But, uh, you know, the, the idea that you're going to amass enough Democrats to do that uh, is a little unlikely. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I would see. say if they are smart and they really want to hold someone with um, integrity to hold on to that seat, that they should vote for her. Does that make sense to you, Scott? I mean, what do you think? Well, it's the it's the probably the only strategy Cheney can employ in order to try to, to win this primary. So I, I understand why she's doing it. It's it's funny to me, having worked for the Bush Cheney administration, the idea of Democrats turning out to vote. <laughs> I know. So, We're I in the mean, Twilight the, Zone, right? Amen, you fax your Twilight Zone. Remember, they poured about $40 million into mega people that they want to win so that they can try to beat them. And of course they love Liz Cheney. She's a Democrat. If they can get her to win again in Wyoming, then they own that state. So here's our asshole. This is all lies. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole? You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. And this might be the only thing that Cassidy Hutchinson described today that she was not a witness to, that she was told by two Secret Service agents, according to her. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motion towards his clavicles. It's a story that only Engel and Renato, I think, were present for, theoretically. She was not. She did not see it happen. Do you have any corroborating evidence? You have interviewed both Renato, or the committee has interviewed both Engel and Renato, two Secret Service agents. Do you have any corroborating evidence that that story is true, or do you only have it from Cassidy Hutchinson? Well, um, the story that she told is the evidence that I'm aware of, at least within her story is the only version you know. And I've not seen anything to contradict it. Uh, but what I'm saying is, your committee interviewed Tony Amato and and Stephen Engel, who supposedly told her this story. Um, and I don't doubt her. I'm I, I'm sure Amato told her the story. Um, 
but your committee interviewed them. Did you ask about this story? It is a shocking story. We, we, I mean, maybe you didn't know about it at the time. I don't know. I, I was not involved in either of those interviews, so I, I can't say and I don't have any knowledge of that. Uh, I, I will just say um, I'm not aware of anything that contradicts the account that she just gave. Right, but you would agree that that story would be stronger if you had corroborating evidence from the individuals who were actually in the presidential limo. Sure, and we're encouraging every material witness who has relevant evidence to come forward. But you've already interviewed. But you've already interviewed these two. Well, um, you know, anybody is free to to come back. And again, I've not been involved in. Um, the questioning of those particular witnesses. It is just an incredibly damning and dramatic story. Uh, I would just, as a journalist and as an American, appreciate more corroboration for the story since as of now, it is. A loyalist to the president says some un uncomfortable truths about him and he starts smearing that loyalist. So it's not surprising that Trump is trying to do that to Cassidy Hutchinson for her testimony. He called her bad news. He claimed he hardly knew her. And then Trump told Newsmax this in an interview that aired this morning. The woman is living in fantasy land. She's a social climber, if you call that social. You know, some whack job can say this stuff and get away with it. And other things that I wanted guns at my rally. Okay, now I'm speaking. Why would I want guns? I don't want people having standing with guns in my rally. Donald Trump not under oath there. Cassidy Hutchinson was under oath, but he was denying on the record one of the most important parts of her testimony, the allegation that he knew people in the crowd at his speech on January 6th were armed. And he wanted to get rid of the magnetometers to let them in to the area closer to him regardless. Because according to Cassidy Hutchinson, quote, they're not here to hurt me, he said. And also because he wanted the largest possible crowd he could get. And of course, we know that Trump then urged his supporters to march on the Capitol, despite knowing, if you believe Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, and the committee does, that many of them had weapons. Now, again, we should note, Cassidy Hutchinson was under oath, Donald Trump was not. And Donald Trump's comments publicly on January 6th, in, in front of all of us, they really seem to back up Hutchinson's story. And I'd love to have if those Tens of thousands of people would be allowed the military, the Secret Service, and we want to thank you and the police law enforcement. Great. You're doing a great job. But I'd love it if they could be allowed to come up here with us. Is that possible? Can you just let them come up, please? Trump's defenders are also trying to discredit Cassidy Hutchinson over the alleged incident inside the presidential SUV on January 6th. Now, remember, Hutchinson says that she was told about this incident by Tony Ornato, who at the time was the White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Ornato told her, she said, that Trump lashed out when Secret Service agent Body Engel would not take him to the Capitol after the rally on January 6th. And Ornato told Hutchinson, she says, Trump lunged for the steering wheel and lunged for Engel. Now, an anonymous source close to Tony Ornato is now claiming that Ornato is denying that he told Hutchinson that story. He's denying it not under oath. He's not denying it by name, but that's what's being spread.
However, no one disputes that Trump was trying to get the Secret Service to take him to the Capitol that day. Sources now telling the New York Times, quote, Mr. Engel, Mr. Ornato, and the driver of the Suburban are prepared to confirm to the committee another damning finding from Ms. Hutchinson's testimony that Mr. Trump demanded his agents bring him to the Capitol so he could join his supporters even after they emphasized the dangerous scene playing out there, unquote. Now, at least two former Trump White House officials, Alyssa Farrah Griffin and Olivia Troy, have come forward in the last day claiming that Tony Ornato, in their experience, does not have a reputation for telling the truth. And two members of the January 6th committee are now painting a picture of Tony Ornato, who has a close relationship with Trump and his team. Here's Democratic Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy earlier today. Mr. Ornato um, did not have as clear of memories uh, from uh, this period of time as I would say Ms. Hutchinson did, if that's a fair assessment there. A suggestion there from Congresswoman Murphy that there were many more I do not recalls from Tony Ornano in his testimony behind closed doors than there were from Cassidy Hutchinson out in the open. Now, Republican committee member Adam Kinzinger, he was a little bit more blunt. He tweeted, quote, there seems to be a major thread here. Tony Ornato likes to lie, unquote. The question of whether Tony Ornato is allegiance to the truth or to Donald Trump might not have been helped by Trump's interview on Newsmax when he effusively praised his former deputy White House chief of staff. These are people. These are great people. These are great people. They've devoted their lives to it. And I think they were very embarrassed by it because it yeah. makes them sound terrible. Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel. Uh, They're well great. I know them very records. well. Sterling. They are records. sterling. Um, and I was very nice that they came to my defense. I thought it was incredible, actually, uh, because, you know, some whack job can say this stuff and get away with it. Tony Ornato, we should note, was not serving as Secret Service agent during this period. He'd been granted an unusual waiver to suspend his time doing the brave and dangerous work on the U.S. Secret Service to serve in a political position as Trump's deputy White House chief of staff. CNN has asked Tony Ornato and the U.S. Secret Service for comment. We've not heard back. Liz Cheney has said that Tony Ornato should come forward and testify under oath. All of this, all of this is for us to consider as we as a nation move forward and try to learn the truth about all the ways that Donald Trump and his team tried to usurp democracy, which is really, after all, what this is all truly about. Under oath, not under oath, these are two different things. Like you said, you know Tony Ornato, you've tweeted about him. Do you think that he would lie to undermine her testimony? I think he would lie not under oath. He's not going to perjure himself. I think he's going to come up with a lot of reasons to not testify or comply with the subpoena if he's if he's given has that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we should we should really underscore the the sort of bizarre circumstances under which Tony Ornato was operating in the White House yes. at this time. Right. It is extremely rare that a Secret Service agent who I mean, he was sort of detailed to the White House. He wasn't officially really with the service at the time. I mean, it's a very complicated arrangement that is. I don't want to say unprecedented because I don't have the knowledge to quite say that, but let's just say I've covered at least four administrations now. I've never seen anything like that before. There are also, you know, there's reporting that he is very much involved with. You have to remember, Trump always took his personal security very seriously. He was trailed for many years by this guy named Keith Schiller, who, you know, I remember, I knew Keith because he was around from the very beginning. When Trump came down that escalator, you know, he was the one who was there. He was always by Trump's side. And it, the sense is that Ornato sort of filled those shoes once Schiller left. That puts him in this, like, close physical proximity to Trump. And there are a lot of questions about 
what his future is like. Is he going to run security for the Trump organization? So, I mean, his the motives and the pressures on him are uh, pretty extraordinary. Can I just add to that? With this whole dispute, look, I found Cassidy Hutchinson to be a very credible witness for a lot of reasons. But it is fair game to try to pick it apart. That's what happens when you take the stand in Congress or in a trial. But I am not buying the Tony Ornato story. And let me tell you why. He has a habit of this. Cassidy Hutchinson said, Tony Ornato told me this damaging things. Ornato denied it. Alyssa Farah <laughs> has said that the same thing happened to her. She told a story that Ornato had told her. Ornato said, no, she's lying. Keith Kellogg, same thing. So there's only two scenarios here. Either Hutchinson and Alyssa Farah and Keith Kellogg are lunatics who made up out of whole cloth Possible. this thing that Ornato told them for no reason, with no incentive. I know you're right here. I don't think you're a lunatic. I'm not going to go with option A. Or option B, Ornato has this habit of talking out of school, saying things that are embarrassing, and when they come out, just saying, I never said that. I'm going option B. Just denying them. Fascinating yeah. conversation, you guys. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, that would be accurate. Uh, John Heilman, they told the chief of staff of the president of the United States, that there were people with AR-15s, with weapons, uh, marching toward the Capitol. Meadows kept looking at his phone, uh, could not care less. It, it, it was an extraordinary moment. Um, he, he, uh, uh, he really played the role of a Pontius Pilate. Mm. Uh, while American democracy, uh, about to be crucified by this armed mob, he just, he said, I'm going to wash my hands of it. Uh, more dangerous? No, before you start getting ready to get your criminal defense attorneys and going to jail. I just want you to know our door is still open. If you lied, if you need, as they say in the business, some time to refresh your recollection and maybe mm -hmm. go back and clean up previous testimony, the door's open. The water's warm. Come on in. But like Noah's Ark, that door is going to close. If you can get a reader or a viewer to be asking that question at every interval, what happens next? I can't wait to see what happens next. What's going to happen next? They are hooked. And, and I think mm -hmm. this, was an, this was a huge challenge for this committee. Again, I've never seen it before, but the thing they've done has been masterful in terms of isolating on specific stories, specific st elements of the larger story they're trying to tell, and bringing people along beat by beat. I'm not going to slideshow. I have slides, but we're just going to keep that up there. It sums up the entire fucking thing. Amazing stuff. Cassidy Hutchinson's sworn J6 testimony is being pivoted to antidote. It's just antidote. Doesn't matter if it's true. We're not going to retract it. Eric Hirschman. Um, breaking. Former White House lawyer Eric Hirschman says that it's not true that Cassidy Hutchinson wrote the handwritten note. That was right the next day. Liz Cheney. The case for prosecuting Donald Trump just got much stronger with a picture of Cassidy. Keep your hands on the wheel. What's real or a distraction about Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony? They didn't attack Salon. They didn't track anything. Megan Kelly. My take on the January 6th star witness testimony yesterday. Short version. Riddled with problems. I'd play it, but it's just me talking and every other conservative. Politico, Secret Service says January 6th committee never reached out to them about the infamous beast ride. 
Never. Greenwald, journalist, all day yesterday, Trump assaulted Secret Service agents and grabbed the wheel of the presidential limo. Headline news, smoking gun, Secret Service, that never happened. Journalist, that was never an important part of the testimony. That's how they played it. These are blue checks. I don't give a fucking care they had weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the fucking mags away. Trump alerted the armed people outside Ellipse Rally. He was angry that magnetometers kept in place. None. Now we know why Mo Brooks was wearing a bulletproof vest. The emphasis on the word me came from Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney's interpretation is what we're doing. It's... All that matters. Big revelation for Liz Affair this morning on Newsday when Cassidy Hutchinson first privately testified she was represented by a lawyer paid for by Trump. Then she got a dim lawyer and boom, you saw it. She changed her fucking tune. They just don't want to realize that everything they put out is wrong. Instead, how the right-wing media went after, we're pouncing! There's pounce. There's plenty of pounce. There's all sorts of pounce. The 20-something who helped the 70-somethings run Washington. That was a New York Times order, or article. Cassidy Husterson. Join me on a journey, Matt Whitlock. J6 Committee bills explosive terror testimony, including steering wheel chaos. Networks cover extensively. It falls apart. Find out Circus Service wasn't even asked. Let's argue steering wheel didn't matter. Didn't matter. Hmm. Interesting. That was the whole point. John Carl, I will show this one. Oh, here's another one. Internal emails revealed day before Jan 6 riot, U.S. Capitol Police intel warned BLM from Baltimore was busting in rioters. BLM Antifa will wear mega hats, wear camo, and attempt to blend in with the mega crowd, so violence blamed on Trump supporters attending Trump rally. We've already seen that's true. There's graphic evidence. NBC paid one of them. That's never going to get out. John Carl, thank you, Cassidy Hutchinson. And then he explains, where others have refused, Cassidy Hutchinson was willing under oath to tell the world what she witnessed at the White House during the extraordinary events of January 2021. It is for that I say thank you. She didn't say her take. She said other people's takes that that was her take she hearsayed she just hearsayed the whole fucking thing january 6th committee member admits star witness evidence is hearsay no corroborating evidence they didn't care they ran with it anyway The CEO's silent on January 6th, New York Times. Now they're going after companies because they're not talking about January 6th. You must talk about January 6th. You must condemn it, condemn it, or we'll burn your warehouse like Amazon, motherfucker. Join the herd. Do it now. 
Do it now. The Hill, Representative Liz Cheney, let me also say this to the little girl and the young women who are watching tonight. These days, for the most part, men are running the world, and it's really not going that well. That was her at the Reagan Library. I think I played it. Um, Molly Hemway, totally apart from her girl power work with Pelosi running roughshod over due process protections in Congress, the sexist trope is such a stupid and lefty thing for Liz Cheney to say. It's Hillary-esque. It is. The Atlantic, another article. The reason Liz Cheney is narrating the story, because we believe it's going to work better because she's a Republican. She's not a Republican. Fact-checking movement grapples with the world of Walsh and false claims. Every time this happens, every time the left's found to be lying, they run all these fact-checking articles about how it's so horrible and fact-checking and fact-checking. But they don't fact-check their lies. Axios explains how the one sick commission offers a new template for congressional hearings in the future. Yeah, new to due process, not two, pro- two sides, just narrative. Narrative, primetime, produced by ABC. Former White House staffer confirms January 6th committee lied about DOJ com- committee. January 6th committee accused of withholding and misrepresenting testimony and critical evidence by key witness. Because if you don't say what you want... You can't get up there. Kinziger. There is no difference between this and the Taliban. We must oppose Christian Taliban. He's doing the the Christian nationalists. That's about Boebert. Then, Adam Kinziger scoffs at Brit Hume and Byron York critiqued on January 6th, one-sided. You sound nervous. That's a threat. What, is he going to go after him? It's interesting, when the Taliban rose, we spoke saying moderate Muslims need to speak out. I believe normal Christians need to go after the Taliban Christians. Federalists. Here's what the January 6th show trials are really after. They're just trying to silence everybody and fucking make every Republican, every conservative, every non-prog, a white Christian nationalist extremist. Don't get them on the bill. If, you, if you're not on the ticket, you don't get a run. And then we just get a win. Maggie Haberman and Jake Sherman asked the questions everybody was. Like, why did you even do that story? When you knew it was wrong. Why? Well, of course. Got this one. I liked it. The end of time. Seven years since Trump came down the escalator, and though through PP tapes and steel dossier and Atlantic articles about slaring the war dead and impeachments that went nowhere, somehow no one has yet learned the lesson you cannot beat Trump with his own battlefield. The core error in all of this has been the idea that Trump is and has been monstrously strong in the manner that no honest person or ever resist, and therefore the only answer was to cast off limitations and beat him in his own game. This is precisely backwards and revealing. People understand honor integrity, personal strength on a gut level in a way that you can't poll and are not socially permitted to discuss. Indeed, have not been in so long, people forget the words for it, but the memory remain and always will. The only people who do not recognize this are those whose livelihoods depend directly on maintaining an environment where those qualities are restrained in favor of other more manual ones, often by providing redefinitions of them. 
which no longer connect to anything real. Thus we have the honor of bureaucrats, the courage of colonists, inhumane humanitarianism, and the various incoherence that mark our public life, all devoted to convincing ordinary people not to treat their, trust their instinct. It is into this world that Trump emerged. Trump has charisma. For all the talk about how Trump reveals inherent flaws in the system, which is often excuse-making, what he reveals most clearly is simply that there has been almost no one in the era who can look the man in the eye and meet him strength for strength. Jeb got bullied. Robia, Robia goes to those people. Trump was held at bay by a visibly declining old man with massive personal baggage in large part because the old man showed a shared individual strength of personal authority. Ironically, Biden was viable in 2020 for the same reason Trump was in 2016. And what was learned from this? Absolutely nothing. This administration governs like it's possessed by the spirit of Tumblr, and the engines of public life are still churning out the kind of unreal and obviously unreal nonsense that has helped make keep Trump viable. The president tried to beat up the Secret Service and steal a car, but we just never mentioned it for a year and a half. Can you people hear yourselves? Sit with that for a second. Just to the end of this tweet, really think about it. Are you fucking kidding me? No, really, think about it. Think about how many layers of decision-making that had to go through from how many different people and agencies and staff to produce that as a major story of the day, and no one had the common sense to pull the plug. We have a broken public culture. 100%. We're broke. We are just, I mean, these people... They think we're all so fucking stupid that you can float these things because they floated PP tapes. They floated Russian dossier while they're covering for Hillary Clinton, who just made the fucking shit up and was in Ukraine trying to get dirt on Trump. She worked with him, not Trump. They think they can get away with this. But they do. That's the problem that's so fucking scared. They, we just don't have a media that goes, wait a minute. Hold the fucking phone. What the actual fuck? And so when they lose, they just keep up this violent, the GOP is black. Well, Ellie, um, you take no pleasure in being right about what this court would be, but this was, basically this term was the nightmare scenario. The nightmare that all this felt like it was possibly leading to, the nightmare that felt like a little bit put off because they were being a little careful that first term. And there were these decisions that people thought, oh, well, maybe this was it. This was just about as bad as it could possibly be, right? Yeah, I have this as the worst Supreme Court term since 1857. That's the court that unleashed the Dred Scott decision, which basically unleashed the Civil War. But I don't think we have to go back to, to 165 years ago. I think we want to go back to 30 years ago to really understand what's happened. 30 years ago, 1992, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, Roe v. Wade is upheld, albeit with new restrictions, in a five yep. to four vote. Those five votes in the majority were justices all appointed by Republican presidents. In fact, the 1992 court was appointed by eight, had justices, eight of whom were appointed by Republican presidents. And yet they upheld Roe. Why? It's not like they liked abortion. 
It's not like they like states' rights. They had a Confederate view of states' rights. The difference is that conservatives 30 years ago believed in practicality. They said repeatedly in Casey that the practical realities of abortion, of what the government can do and can't do, were such that they had to uphold the law just because of the facts on the ground. To defeat Roe, the modern conservatives, what the Republicans realized is that they had to start appointing judges who did not care yes. about the practicalities, who did not care about facts, who did not care about reality itself. And that is how they found justices who are now willing to overturn Roe. And that decision, finding justices who are willing to do that, that's what explains everything else. And once you have a justice that's not willing to look at the practical realities of abortion, that's how you also have a judge who isn't willing to look at the practical realities of climate change, who isn't willing to look at the practical reality of gun violence. What we have, it's like a bad science fiction novel, Chris. It's like uh, when you know they, they release an invasive predator to defeat some other predator. We're at the release the bat stage, right? And the problem with those science fiction novels is that once the thing finishes eating whatever you sent it to eat, it keeps feeding. And that's all these conservatives are going to do. They're going to keep feeding on the rights and dignity of others until somebody, somebody in the government, somebody in the other branches of government stops them. Well, let, let's talk about that. And that's an apt metaphor. I think John Rob Roberts himself is probably going to be on the table pretty soon uh, for their for their delectation. I mean, the, you know, you, you, you mentioned Dred Scott. We, we quoted from Lincoln's first inaugural, which is a fascinating uh, text because Dred Scott, of course, which basically says that black people have no rights, uh, that you can escape slavery and be whisked back. But not only that, but that, that, that just the Constitution was meant for white people, essentially. Um, that is a radicalizing moment. It, it helps to precipitate the Civil War. It helps to precipitate the formation of the Republican Party. And one of the first things that Lincoln has to do is bring the reactionary court to heel. He expands the court. The other big example of this, of course, is the Lochner era court, which in the New Deal is striking down legislation over and over again. FDR famously tries to expand the court. There's a huge fight over it. He loses that fight. But there's some evidence to suggest the court was intimidated by it and basically reverses their jurisprudence. What's the lesson there about what checks a court that is sort of dead set on this kind of like reactionary marauding? The court has no money, it has no power to tax, and it has no army. The person who can stop the court is the executive of the United States, the president of the United States. But right now, and I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm angry at Biden right now, I am sad. I am sad that right now, because you know who remembers 30 years ago? Joe Biden. Joe Biden remembers right. the, the hokey past of bipartisanship where he could reach yep. out to conservatives who were concerned about practical governance. Those people don't yep. exist now, but Joe Biden never got the memo. And so I'm sad that in this crucial moment, we have a president who is unwilling, who is so ossified in his past thinking that he won't stand with his people at this critical yeah. moment to take power back, not for himself, because he doesn't matter, but to take power back for the American people yes, from, for these, from, from these unelected, unaccountable judges. Yeah, and for constitutional governance, Eli Mistel, uh, thank you, have a great weekend. Let's, let's talk about the applause at the, uh, at, at the, the Reagan Library. Well, I guess my question to you, Joe, is is it too late for that choice? For the Republican well, Party? Listen, you know me. I'm, I Like my friend Eddie, we've talked about this. I'm a Baptist. You're into the... I always believe, in, de it. I always believe in deathbed conversions. <laughs> I'll take it. 
But yes, it's too late for this Republican Party. I mean, you see what I'm saying? I, I believe in deathbed conversions. I really do. I'm always overly optimistic. I always say, you know, I'll take anything. Can it be safe? Too late for this Republican Party. And, and you can look at the leaders, but as uh, somebody earlier this week said on the show, it's not the leaders as much as it is the base. It's the base that are chasing around these conspiracy theories. It's for this Republican Party. Uh, I think um, they, they may do well in the midterm elections. I'm not so sure if you look at a Georgia poll because they've picked so many freaks and weirdos and insurrectionists in their primaries. Uh, but I think in the long run, the only way they get reformed is they get beaten. Uh, Eddie, uh, you believe in deathbed conversions, I know. Uh, but it seems to me that it's even too late for this Republican Party, for this Trump Republican Party to reform itself. I think you're absolutely right, Joe. I think it needs to literally be burnt to the ground. I, I don't want to use that. I know that verb is kind of strong. Not, but not, I, not literally. Hold on. Hold, let me help you out here. Not literally. <laughs> yeah. Not literally. Okay, not professor. Literally. You know, like, figuratively. Figuratively. In a political sense. In a political right? sense. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Let's talk about this. It is incredibly tragic, but it feels like these are the kinds of tragedies that happen when you make migration so hard that people become so desperate that they're willing to climb into or put even their children into the back of a, you know, an air-conditioned truck. You know, Joy, uh, it's good to see you too, sweetie. Listen, as I was thinking about this, and you know, right now what you're going to hear is it's the smuggler's fault, it's the smuggler's fault, it's the smuggler's fault. You know, I've been covering this for several decades now, and smugglers have been bringing people over in all of the entirety of the time that I've been covering this story. And you didn't used to hear these kinds of stories, these kinds of deaths. This is, in fact, a result of the police state that exists now along the U.S.-Mexico border in general. And in Texas, people just don't realize you can't kind of just get in a car and drive through the state of Texas. The Border Patrol is everywhere. There are checkpoints. And this is what people will resort to. It is horrible. It's just an absolute horrible, horrible death. And it feels even more difficult in a moment when our country is just, everybody's reeling. And it's like, this is part of our country too. Yeah, I mean, particularly in Texas has had more than its fair share um, of, of death and horror. But this is now a multi-country tragedy. People from multiple countries died um, in the back of that truck. Uh, the governor of Texas is trying to, of course, use it for political fodder, blaming President Biden. But the reality is we still have the remain in Mexico policies of Donald Trump. The Supreme Court is right now litigating whether or not the, tr the Biden administration has to continue to operate based on Trump's rules, which they are currently doing. If we, if the president of the United States can't even change the rules by which migration is, you know, is sort of policed at the border, what can we do? Right. Now, the whole remain in Mexico policy has, it was created by the Trump administration. So you're right. The problem is that the Biden administration has not been able to rescind it and now may be forced because of this very strange Supreme Court that we have in power in the United States. This kind of rhetoric, I mean, we impeached a president over less. That's the thing that's so crazy about it. We impeached a president under less. And now you got Gavin Newsom, because, you know, the, the one thing they haven't done is guns. They, they want those guns. 
So here's him on Truth Social dispelling the lies because, you know, we don't do that on Twitter, but we'll do it over there. Look at this idiot. To members of the United States Supreme Court, to right-wing Republicans all across this country, do you have no common decency, respect, or even common understanding that kids should not have one of these? This is an AR-15. This is a weapon of war, a weapon of mass destruction, but you're out there promoting and allowing marketing of these weapons of war to our kids, supporting and celebrating gun manufacturers who put up advertisements like the ones you see behind me. These are cartoon skulls with pacifiers in them. His and her pacifiers, cartoon skulls of children with pacifiers. This is what the right wing is marketing and promoting at behest of the gun industry in this country. The good news, if there's any, is that this ends at least today in California. I just signed a bill so the gun industry and those that are backing this industry can no longer market to our children. I didn't even have to do this, it's ridiculous. This law, by the way, goes in effect immediately because decent human beings, people with common sense, know that we should not be allowing this kind of disgusting marketing to go on another day. I decided to, we have to do so many little stop and goes. Also some crime there. You see the stealing, you see a illegal get parked. That's, they want it. Dana Loesch. This is an AR-15. This is Newsome, a weapon of war. The gun industry is openly marketing these to kids with cartoons and mini AR-15s, uh, JR-15s. They don't belong in the hands of our kids on the street. I just signed two bills of bandit, Dana, Dana Loesch. I've never seen anyone so awkwardly hold a sporting rifle in my life. It's not a weapon of war, and it's responsible for the least fatalities under blunt objects even. And then you flag your damn cameraman. Exactly. He's holding a 22 version, too. Then you start getting, and this is given to me by Matt... Um, in Oregon, new massive trove of gun ownerships, private information leaked by California attorney general. So now you have thousands of people who now know, or that criminals know, they own guns. And this has happened in my lifetime numerous fucking times. It happened in the Northeast once where they printed it. New York Times has done it. 
I haven't been able to review it all, but there are many social media posts that claim the leak extends to dealer records of sale database and assault weapon registry too. And with all their fucking hoods, Anna Faw, Jane's Revenge. What the fuck? Then they blamed um, the there was a twenty year old uh, a, a twenty year old woman was fatally shot while she pushed her three year old. The first victim of Clarence Thomas Moronic gun law. That was all over Twitter with these fucking ghouls. They don't know any better. A stat I should put up. Cops in the U.S. only solve half of the murders. Because we're understaffed. People don't give the information. Most of these deaths are inside the um, black community. They, they won't say anything. Then we get into this. Political analysis explains why it appears that Corrine Jean-Pierre is reading from a page. They explained it as something that was okay. I mean, if you haven't watched one of her things, good God, man. 14 journalists who fatally fabricated stories and three more involved in major journalist scandals. And this is one of those ones, I'm not going to read it, but it's all tied into the left. This is why we have uninformed Americans Getting angry, doing crime, torching fucking pregnancy centers, strashing fucking cars because they're not educated. The liberal world order all in itself was something that if Trump would have said that, can you imagine? FOIA revealed progressive money fueling FBI, DOJ, and leftist activists and election official coordination. This is PJ Media. I have not been able to corroborate it, but it wouldn't surprise me. The Justice Department pressured USA Today to stop publishing me. The Justice Department Chief Brian Fowler Billy complained to the USA Today editors about my article walloping Attorney General Eric Holder, including the Eric Holder Lawless Legacy. And the me is Jim Bovart. How many more are, are is this happening? January 6th, Southern Poverty Law Center is providing testimony for the hearing. A group that has totally been debunked as garbage they're just garbage new york law these are out of order applying for a handgun license to turn over their social media account before they can get a gun if that isn't the most fascist shit i've heard lately i don't even i don't even know and while they're doing all this Man out on bond dies in shootout with cops allegedly attempting to murder a police officer. Two officers were shot the other day, and I can't remember what it was. They were released on bond. Willful blindness. Feds ignore illegal alien ID theft, playing Americans as U.S. coffers fill. But what is the New York Times running? A New York City liberal, and I want a gun. But in the article, because I read it, because I'm behind the payroll, it would take him seven years to get his fucking gun. Lefty journalists and celebrities spent an entire month attacking the Second Amendment. I'm not going to play all the sound bites because I've already played enough sound bites today. The amount 
of anti-gun rhetoric while they're allowing people with felonies to carry guns and kill people and then get released with a free bus ticket and a fucking burner phone. Yeah. West Hollywood votes to defund Sheriff's Department despite soaring crime. Have fun with that. And Salon, Lone Star Hate. Right-wing activists in Texas drive a new wave of anti-LGBT bigotry. And on the cover of it, they're fucking showing this group that is anti-LGBT. And there's a black guy right in the center. Black guy. Yeah. So, maybe you want to work on your shit there. Because um, if you actually moved out and learned some shit, you would find out everybody's there. So, here's a light affair before we move on. Then we're going to go into our woke. This was, um, I think it's the Babylon B, but I could be totally wrong. Here's the devil on roll. I want to thank you all for coming down here today. I hope it's not too hot. You can always turn the thermostat down a couple thousand degrees if anyone gets uncomfortable. Mm. It's kale flavor. It's my favorite. As you all know, team and I suffered a uh, big defeat this week with um, the overturn of Roe v. Wade. We went out there, we, we gave it our all uh, with fantastic offensive game, but ultimately the good guys and, uh, and Justice Roberts came in clutch. Played a better game. So let's, uh, let's take some questions. Uh, you, you there with the teeth. Satan, it seemed like you had it in the bag with Roe on lockdown for 50 years. What went wrong out there? Yeah, yeah, thank you thank you for the question. Um, you know, we got to look on the bright side here. We, we put up some incredible numbers. Over 60 million PBAs, that's pre-born babies aborted for the late person. It's an absolute world record. Uh, yeah, I can't take all the credit, though. This is a team sport, and uh, you got an incredible team. You know, got Planned Parenthood, Moloch, Nancy Pelosi. They all made this possible. It didn't go the way that we uh, wanted this time. But in the end, we still have a championship team of demons, devils, and Democrats out there. And, you know, there's always uh, there's always next season. Excuse me, the devil, uh, what are your plans for the health franchise going forward? Yeah. Excellent question. Uh, obviously, this is a rebuilding year for us. We're going we're gonna to build back better. And uh, we have some great up-and-coming prospects. we got Kamala Harris. Uh, you've heard her uh, demonic cackle. Of course, it's one of the best in the game. It scares even me sometimes. <laughs> you know. Uh, of course, we've got all the, the progressive Christians out there. Uh, we got the guy from Green Day. we got Pink now. And, of course, the Republicans with the weak defensive game. So, thanks, Mitt. Um, you know, they let us remain dominant killing babies for over 50 years. And let's not forget, we still have, we still have California and New York in, in, in the bag, putting up incredible numbers in the child sacrifice department. Yeah, it was the Babylon Bee. 64 million babies. What does it say about a group of people that they're upset that you can't kill babies? Really think about that. So, could it go into woke? As usual, our trans abuse will start us off with some spicy sound bites that we'll talk about. But I got an extra special one today. But we'll get to it when we get to it. 
Widespread confusion among schools across Florida right now. The state says that instruction most certainly will be limited for kindergartners through third graders when it comes to the topics of sexual orientation and gender identity. But Florida admits it does not have a plan right now for older kids as this law has unleashed a torrent of controversy. After months of heated protests in Florida, a feud between the governor and the Walt Disney Company and a pending federal lawsuit, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, referred to by critics as Don't Say Gay, is now in effect. In a legal motion this week, the state arguing what the law does do, limit classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity for kindergarten through third graders. And what it does not do, stating there's no merit to accusations the law restricts gay or transgender teachers from putting a family photo on their desk or referring to themselves and their spouse and their own children. But for many, those words belie the true impact. Dr. Denise Soufrine, who is gay, has spent 34 years in Broward County schools, most recently with kindergarten and first graders. A series of polarizing meetings in Jacksonville, recently leading to combustible confrontations and signs like this one reading, Stop Sexual Propaganda at School. Many details remain unanswered. The Florida Department of Education noting that it's still working to develop age-appropriate rules for students in older grades. Some high schoolers protesting the legislation in March were quickly swarmed by hundreds of detractors. According to one group that tracks LGBTQ censorship, there are some six states right now with laws like Don't Say Gay right on their books. Another 33 that have introduced... One of the arguments you hear um, in opposition to talking to uh, young children or to teaching elementary level school children about racism or the history of racism in America is the ar argument goes something along the lines of, well, you're going to make white kids feel bad about being white. What, what is your response to that? Well, I, I would say those people are most concerned about our teaching of slavery. So let's just talk about slavery. Sure. If we teach white kids uh, about slavery, we're going to teach them that there were white people who enslaved people and there were black people who were enslaved. And we're also going to teach them that there were white people and black people who challenged and fought against slavery. And, and so my question back to them would, would be, why can't we allow white children to identify with white abolitionists? And... Mm -hmm. And, you know, and also it, it demonstrates to me that these folks recognize that kids are not colorblind, <laughs> 
uh, and that how we shape the curriculum impacts our children. So then why aren't they concerned about how black kids feel when they're not represented? Uh, a statement or some content addressing where we are in that process, uh, something brief. Uh, Dr. Ziegler, would you be interested in providing that to the community and back to school? Uh, everything that Mr. Mehevdi mentioned is part of the rollout plan. So we have a, a pretty robust indoctrination plan uh, ready to go, enculturation plan for this ready to go as we move into the new school year. Thank you, Dr. Ziegler. I, I was just going by where the items were on the slide. If, if they could specify, it was spelled out. Everyone around the world should celebrate Pride. Pride means that you're special. Yeah. And loving. Yeah. And kindness. Yeah, Pride does mean all those things. So what what is Pride? About people who are queer and queers is two people of the same gender who have crushes on each other. Do you think kids should be at Pride? Yeah. Usually they mostly experience like in stories straight stuff. So it's good for kids to also know about queer stuff. I am non-binary. Yeah? I have the perfect cape for it. A flag? Yes, 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 yes. It is uh, fantabulous. I don't care if any, anyone says no if this is not fantabulous, because it is fantabulous. It's a really fun experience being a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Do you have any advice for adults who are figuring out who they are right now? Of course. If you're not sure who you are, it's okay. Like, tell your, your parents, your friends, or anyone. I bet you they're gonna support you a lot. Like, everyone should, like, have a fair place in this world. Do you think it's important to talk to kids about this stuff? Maybe if there's, like, a big group of kids, they can, like, spread the word. Oh, I, you think kids can get the word out? Yeah, I really do. It's important to talk to kids about this stuff because if you don't, you know, they could have made a big change that never knew about. Kids are very powerful. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um, well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get them scented and bleach free if you can. Thank you. Yo, my daughter loves these. Thank you. These might be easier if it's her first period. Thank these you. are really environmentally friendly. And another of his disciples said to him, I'm going to go first to go and marry my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. And it was entered into a ship as the sun had fallen. And behold, there were five great tempers in the sea. So at this point, we have no longer, we can no longer stand by. The risk that you pose for public safety by remaining here can be mitigated if you leave. You last chance. I don't want to leave because I'm not in danger. I'm not in danger. I'm not in danger. I'm not
Thanks for trusting me with this. So I am Dr. Lex. I teach shame-free sex ed and I'm raising sex positive kids and I'm trying to help you do so too. When we're talking about four-year-olds exploring their bodies, I'm glad you're able to notice. I'm glad you're able to say like, this is what's going on. And you're doing a great job as a parent. You're figuring out what's safest for your four-year-old. So let's talk about the function of the orifices that they're exploring, right? If it's the anus, we have to be super careful with that. Most adults don't know how to safely explore an anus. So a four-year-old definitely doesn't because the butt tends to act like a vacuum. And with the butt acting like a vacuum, that's going to be an awkward ER pediatrician visit. So nothing goes in the butt. It is for exits only at this time. If it's a vagina or a vaginal canal, we need to talk about, we only safely explore that with clean hands, cut fingernails, because that is what's safest. Something else can hurt us, puncture us, et cetera, et cetera. So go over the safety and the function. Like, hey, I know that you're exploring. That's something we want to do in our rooms on our own private time, which means that there's nobody else in the room and that they're able to do that and we're not you know, supposed to be anywhere else at the time. So they can enjoy themselves and they can enjoy exploring. And you want to make sure that, hey, while you're exploring, it's really important that you stay safe, which means that we make sure your hands are clean, that there's no dirt up under your nails so we can prevent infections or anything that might be uncomfortable for your vulva. And it's as simple as that, right? There's a great article on scarymommy.com that talks about we do not touch our vulvas at the table. Hi, it's Jane. Um, so, so, look what I did all by myself today. Look, look, look. Oh, I learned. I learned how to do it all by myself. Look. <laughs> yeah, so... We were gonna go swimming, but the pool was closed. So we didn't get to go swimming today. But that's okay. We still are gonna have fun. And we're gonna watch Dead End Drive with with the boys. And yay! <laughs> and I just wanted to come and say hi and show you my hair. Because I worked really hard on it. it took, Took a little while, but I did it! Yay! I'm growing up. <laughs> to get right into it before we start any articles this is now what cookie companies have to do because of the lgbt fascist you're too beautiful to hide i'll march with you you'll be exactly who you the world needs more of thank you for being here i wish you love peace and light you are love what the actual fuck is that Rainbow fucking cookies. I'm not even going to read the replies because you already know the replies. Normals like us go, what the fuck, man? You're a cookie company. Why? Why do you feel the need you have to do that? Because you're bullied. You're bullied to have to fucking be part of the woke. Then they put up Sam Brinton, Secretary of Spent Fuel. It's a dude in a pantsuit. 
So what they're going to do, because they're losing wholeheartedly against Americans, and they don't ever want to acknowledge that they're wrong, they're going to introduce a trans right bill. Hmm. Details are sketchy, but I'm sure including in that is something to do with four-year-olds get to change their fucking sex, and if you don't, it's a crime. You watch. Um, Jay Powell, as we witness an extremist Supreme Court and state legislature across the country attack and roll back the fundamental rights of trans people and target trans communities with hateful and bigoted attacks, we are standing and saying enough, enough. The proposal dubbed the Transgender Bill of Rights would codify the Supreme Court's Boston and Clayton County decision that protects employees against discrimination. The proposal will amend the Civil Rights Act of 64 to explicitly include protections for gender identity, sex characteristics, and if you join the latest fad. Okay. Disney Plus Baymax promotes ideas that men can have, period. That's all over the fucking place. Uh, kids cartoon pushes more LGBT content with two dating men. Not even going to play a soundbite. They don't get any more airtime. Pushes hygiene products. And then, as you, most of you are probably like me, you listen to the Daily Wire, you go to the Daily Wire. Jordan Peterson's part of their operation now because they banned him for saying the truth that the Juno actor got her booze removed. She's a boy now. But the one that was the craziest, and I won't go in depth because you probably all heard it, is Halifax Bakes. Bank, if, if you don't go with the pronouns, go somewhere else. That's a business model. I don't know why. So NBC, NBC had four or five articles this week pushing that kids are now the ground zero for trans rights because of the evil right wing. But they didn't talk about the drag queen who is part of Story Hour in New York City has 25 counts of fucking child abuse. Yeah, we, we didn't talk about that. Here's Tim Allen. He gets airtime. Tim, the fans are very upset that you're not light year in this new Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I did. Literally, the, the short answer is I've stayed out of this because it has nothing to do, as I said a long time ago, we talked about this many years ago. What and It came up in one of the sessions. I said, that well, what a fun movie that would be. And that was, we spoke about it, all of the, the, but the brass that did the first four movies is not this, this is a whole new team that really have nothing to do with the first movies. And they're, as I said to early, I thought it was a live action when they said they were doing a live action. That's what yeah. I thought. It mean real, you know, humans, not an animated thing. And really, as Hanks and I, well, there's really no Toy Story's buzz without Woody. So I, I don't, I'm not sure what would what, what, what the idea. I'm a plot guy. Yeah. And this was done in the, in this, in 1997. It, it would it would seem to be a big adventure story and I, as I see it's not it's not a big adventure story it's a wonderful story mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem to have any any connection to the toy and that's what yeah. it's a little it's a little I don't know. you're like it's like a little too off the too off the path it's just it, it has no relationship to buzz you never you know buzz is a kind of a doesn't it seemed it's just no connection I wish there was a, a better connection to it that's not a tool. Two. Who's the little one? What's with the baby? <laughs> this is my son, Ethan. Oh, Ethan, boy. say, 
Now we got to watch our language. Yeah, well, you're starting out young, you know. Okay. Okay, first of all, Tim, we can't do this interview without you saying the more power voice in your Tim the Toolman Taylor voice. Can you give me one? More power. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. All right. So tell me I think about. I, I think I just hurt. I think I just hurt myself. You just <laughs> don't crack a rib now. Um, yeah, you got to warm up before you do anything like that, Jim. I got to. I got to stretch before I start doing stuff like that. So this is this is such a cool concept for a show, like learning how things work. So tell me about like whose idea was it and how did this whole thing come together. It originally started with uh, the executive producer, Kate Fox, who she and I put together a show a long, long time ago that was the precursor to Last Man Standing. So that's how long ago we were coming up with an idea, um, she and I, about how to support and acknowledge the people that do the things that do the things that fix the things that make the things. It's yeah. that all the way down, the people that don't have a political the advantage or disadvantage, they just get the job done. And to be honest with you, a lot of this was a surprise, at least to me, once we got into it, how we become like our character. Richard's yeah. far more professional than I am. When I start seeing this stuff, I get really bored real quick. And I go, <laughs> well, how, what does that button do? Richard has an ability to make things uh, interesting. He keeps me on track. And we'd end up doing these shows where both of us would go, I, I I didn't know that. Like the the yeah. Castilla, like dam, we found people that bent glass, and I was more fascinated as I get to, is who are these people that do this stuff? Well, not only that, me? but they have everything done in house. Yes. They they sure. fix their own machines, they fix their own trucks, they they paint their own trucks, they do all this stuff in house. It's it's really it's fascinating. Yeah. So along the way with the show, you invite the most skilled makers. Yeah. Uh, to create these like tailored innovations to fit your needs. Well, you know, we also have April, um, who's kind oh, of our yeah. resident uh, um, expert, who who explains a lot of things um, that we kind of, you know, let go or whatever. She kind of gets a little more specific on stuff. But then we brought in all these guys to build things. We had somebody build a. Uh, a, a sweeper that would also pick up the leaves and put whatever them somewhere subject else. we're going at we always wonder what would happen it literally my whole life is if you added more power to it I mean, provocative tool very powerful <laughs> <laughs> it's one of i those. thought it was more like a <laughs> that's better what's it like for the two of you to work together again you guys have been friends for how many years 30 years yeah i, I don't know if you call us friends you know the first couple of years is iffy Iffy. Yeah, yeah. It's a little it, dicey it, touch and go. Life imitates art. If it weren't for uh, Richard, it, we'd never finish anything because he'd go, Tim, can we just... And it's just like Al and Tim Taylor. <laughs> I, right, I, that's kind of how it is on this I'm show. just kind right? of farting around and then Karn Well, we do, we do fall into old patterns, but yes. what's wonderful is, is that we've had some years, uh, you know, where we weren't in that pattern and new things have happened and new ways of, of communicating. And <laughs> and boy, do we do we love to, to communicate. We love to argue with each other. Yes. <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are some of the things that you argue about the most? Uh, um, basically, it's, it's I, I don't know. Uh, um, usually, it's, it's some knee-jerk 
uh, political position that that happens, you know, right before we're about to go action. Yeah. And Tim goes, yeah, well, what about this? And then yeah. I'm like, oh, I've always been a, a, a philosophy major in college. So I'm always like this. Chum. I'm, I don't really have a position. I just like to know what everybody else's position is. So you're the instigator then at the Thanksgiving. For everything, I, I've always got like you get into the show. How does this work? What does that do? How, did, yeah. how do you know that does that? And I don't, why did you do it that way? You yeah, know, not, not opposed to this one. I'm not trying to prove the other guy wrong. I'm trying to understand and clarify so my position is clear. So I actually have a pressure tank under there. So good, yeah. good. You want a tank? Oh, okay. explosive you too. You want an explosive yeah. tank under <laughs> yeah, your back? Under, under yeah. your back. We've got to get the hell out of here. Has there ever been an occasion where there's been too much power? You know, yes, there has. Say, I built uh, and remodeled an RV for my family because my wife, for one of her birthdays, wanted to go see all the American monuments by RV. So we did it. And it was so slow, sluggish. That way of putting it. And I, I built hot rods. So I said, what if we could do a hot rod, put a big motor in it? And my friends at a, the diesel company said, yeah. And one quiet guy said, Tim, or Mr. Allen, he actually said, there's a lot of things that actually shouldn't go faster. <laughs> and I found out on the freeway, mm -hmm. a uh, RV is one of those things. Coming downhill in a big RV, I'm thinking I'm doing well, and 80 is too fast in an RV coming downhill. Right. I, you know, I don't game. know much about cars, but I, I do know that. I do know that, that probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Yeah, it seemed like a cool idea. It wasn't a cool idea. There's no, <laughs> you don't want to go faster in an RV. Richard, right. what about you? Any moments like that? Uh, gosh. Um, well, you know, I'm, I watched the premiere, uh, the, our, our first episode out, and there was a point where, you know, they tried to pick up a basketball with, um, with like this kind of cat pincers. And it, it was just too much power for that delicate kind of a thing. It, it, it popped they, the ball. They let us get into big machines and didn't even ask, have you ever done this before? Ooh, I, I love, I love it. It's failing. You didn't bring on Tim Allen and you fucking pushed your LGBT shit. People just don't want that. So since I'm really short on time, I'm going to do our lighter fare, and our lighter fare today is going to be a review of The Terminalist, and it's so, so good. are still ongoing into the failures Operation Odin Sword. Failed missions resulted in the death of 12 Navy SEALs. Lieutenant Commander James Reese, can you outline the details of your mission? They knew we were coming. According to the audio logs, you went dark on comms roughly four mics in. Why? That's not how it went down. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Headaches, paranoia, memory confusion. Daddy. We're gonna get through this, okay? Wanna tell me what happened? Somebody fed us bad intel. It was a setup. If I'm right, 
We need to act on this. I need names. If there's a connection to you and your men, I'll find it. Answers or blood? Blood. Where's James Reese? Is it true your fugitive is a Navy SEAL? There's a bunch of people tracking you right now, so just lay low. I have 12 men flying home in caskets right now. Bart. This is personal. in on the fray. Now, you're in the battlefield. There's evil in this world, the likes of which you can't possibly imagine. James. Take Lucy, get her out of the house now. It is the best series I've ever watched. I ain't lying to you. It is so good. Even the wife got into it. I mean, it's it's a mystery. It's got some military action. Fuck me. It is amazing. We burned it. We started at 5 o'clock on uh, Friday, and we finished it yesterday. While the race was going, we finished the series, and we went and watched the race, which really sucked. Won't talk about Noah. He fucked up. But it was... Wow. You must watch. It's a must watch now. It is a great series. I will be starting to rewatch it tonight as I go to bed for the next week because I sleep in the living room still. Which brings up the med update uh, real quick. Uh, I got an email from somebody. It was anonymous. I've actually gotten a little better. I've stopped using the CPAP and I'm using Parade Food and I have really improved quite a bit. Um, I still have little periods, but it's not as bad. And uh, next Monday's the test, so we'll find out if they can repair it and I can start eating sandwiches again. But, I mean, exponentially improved once I stopped using the CPAP. So, clearly my esophagus is fucked. But, um, so, that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Shows your family friends. Go to foppodcast.com. you find all your links you need. Uh, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Have a great 4th of July tomorrow. Watch The Terminal List. It is so worth it. Um, what an amazing series. I am just I, I'm head over heels. I tried to find some more uh, reviews of it or uh, videos, but that's all you guys, the, ter- the, the trailer. But if you have Amazon, watch that bad boy. So we're going to go for a Wednesday podcast that will take us to 6th June, year of our Lord 2022. Until then, take care. Happy 4th of July. Don't let the lefties take it away. Blow some fucking shit up. We got a great country because we are starting to turn it back around. Once we get rid of this administration and get some level-headed people in there, we'll be okay. We just got to get the wokesters out. So let's do it in November. Thanks for listening. Take care.